the end of the day, Chris, as long as you're buying in a good area, you're buying a good quality bit of real estate, you're gonna make you know you're gonna make your money on it if you hold it for the long term. All right, hello, it's Chris Hines from Wealthy, and welcome back to another episode of Wealthy Expat. This week, I've got the mighty George Burgess on the show with me. George, it's great to have you here. How are you going? Yeah, not bad, Chris. All good. Cannot complain. How's things? Exactly. Yeah, things are good. I guess making the most of the, the English summer at the moment, the British summer and the limited weeks we have, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, but yeah, taking advantage of that, need to get a trip organised, I think, in the coming weeks and have a little holiday somewhere. Have you got anything planned over the next few weeks to get away? Um, I was originally, yeah. We were supposed to go into the States um, for about three months, but due to these vaccine laws and the co- constant changes, we're just putting it off, man. Um, yeah. My family are in Portugal at the moment. We were supposed to go to Portugal as well, but even that's been such a headache. Um, yeah. You know, with, with work as well, it's just been a little bit too uh, too much extra stress. Right. So, we're, so we're leaving the travel for a bit. Yeah. Have you had your vaccine yet? No, I've not had it yet. I need to go get mine as well. I keep getting the pressure put on from the other half. She's uh, pushing me to go get it. But yeah, we'll address that in time. There's plenty of them out there at the moment. It's just getting in, getting the time to go walk into one of the clinics, I think, at the moment. But it is what it is. Um, so it's great to have you here. I think today we we spoke briefly in the past, but we'll we'll touch on it in more detail today. But we'll think or talking around some topics about the importance of diversification within real estate. Uh, I think it's a big topic. It's something that's quite important, and I guess the importance around not putting all your eggs in one basket, in a sense, uh, in simple terms. So it's great to have you on the show and, and dig into a few more of these topics and and understand a bit more about what you do for work as well, the processes you go through, the the trends you're seeing in in some of these international markets um, with a lot of work in the states at the moment, uh, and digging into a few of those topics. I guess to start off with a bit of background on George, um, I met George about what would have been two and a half years ago now when we were doing some some work together in the past, and uh, we. I was, uh, we were in different teams, but I, I shared a lot of interest towards what George was doing at the time around development funding and a new department that he was setting up within the company that we were a part of. Um, and that's, uh, it, I took a big, a big interest in it, a big liking towards it and, and tried to work underneath uh, George's wing. But yeah, now you've moved on and you've started your own, your own business in, in the same field of work. I guess, do you want to give us a bit of a background on, on the business itself and, and let the listeners know what you do exactly? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, to keep it really simple, we're essentially a real estate developer now. Um, so what we're doing is we obviously predominantly, um, we're always raising capital, right, for real estate projects. So we were responsible for bringing in um, the extra layers of equity and the debt components to finish the capital stack for the developers. And then we said, you know, well, why don't we actually start becoming the developer and partnering with the developers and still doing the same sort of role? But then sort of tying tying the fee structures into the deal itself and using that as equity as well. And um, you know, hence making our sort of longer term vision more um accessible. Um so yeah. that's kind of the model we're adapted now. So essentially what we're doing now is we're developing our own, you know, sponsoring our own real estate projects. And we do we're very particular now. So whereas obviously you would have seen before, we were doing projects. <coughs> pretty much all over the world, right? We were doing stuff in Australia, the USA, yeah. Europe, Middle East. Um, so we do now have a very keen focus on just USA-based projects uh, and multifamily as well, which is essentially a USA term for residential you know, apartment buildings. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. Now, is there any sort of, of price points you're working with at the moment with some of these funding deals? Is there, I remember in the past we would, I guess we were steering clear of stuff that was under 100 mil at the time, but are you working in across a variety of fields now or are you still focusing on the, the higher end of the market, so to speak? Yeah, it's interesting. We've been a bit more, <clears throat> I'd say we've been a bit more sophisticated now with the uh, the investments that we're looking at and how we're structuring them. So before, yeah, we we're looking at minimum project sizes of sort of 100 to $150 million going up into the billion dollar range, which is still um, the playing field that we operate in. But the way we're doing this now is we're doing more sort of portfolio deals where we're bringing in several projects which might have a price point. We try to look at price points from 15 to 100 million and sort of bundle a few of these projects to get, um, you know, together, sorry. And, yeah. you know, we, we just like these kind of deal sizes. We like the returns. We can really do a great execution on these deals. We're very comfortable with these sort of size deals. And essentially then from a fundraising point of view, it's just a case of, you know, raising for the whole portfolio and going down that, um, you know, line of credit option with the institutional guys and the private equity banks. Sure. Okay. And I guess as well around the, the US component now, which you're heavily focused on, what's, I guess, what drove you to, to focus majority of your time and effort into, into that market? So to say? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, obviously a lot of my clients <laughs> ask me this, right? You're in the UK, what are you doing? Um, why are you so yeah. focused on the US? What got you into this? And, and to be honest, I just fell into it. Um, you know, my background, I was a musician, right? Since the age of six. So I'm not someone who's been through the whole um, college, university, corporate system, really. Obviously, we met in a, in a corporate situation, which was my first experience. Um, and I think things just fall into place, right? A little bit of, uh, you know, fate yeah. or whatever you want to call it, law of attraction. But, you know, yeah, I wanted definitely. to, yeah, I wanted to get into this field more and more. And then <clears throat> I obviously then was uh, working with a very large family office in London which was a multifamily office made up of families uh, from the USA uh, and, and, and European families. So they had a big focus on USA projects. And, you know, obviously with the world that we live in, and from my media experience in the past, I knew that I could reach <clears throat> people anywhere around the world. So I said, well, let's just, yeah. you know, pick these different areas. And I sort of, you know, um, leveraged the infrastructure that we were in to get messages out to different teams in different parts of the world so that we could, you know, essentially find these projects for them. And and I just so happened, Chris, to be honest, it was just meeting the the clients over time. I was doing a lot of stuff in Texas. So a lot of my clients were just based in Texas. And I was just naturally learning more and more about the, the market. And as I was doing this, I thought, wow, this is, you know, this is actually seriously incredible. Um, and, you know, I just I prefer the market than the UK. I prefer the uh, relationships we have with the USA clients and the way that we sort of sure. uh, engage with each other and do business. So I sort of stuck with it. Um, and I just see, you know, again, from, from a European point of view, the advantages that we see from, you know, tax incentives, et cetera, and, and just sort of more flexibility on the investments by operating on the sort of foreigner uh, yeah, entities. Sure. You know, we like the market. So we've, we've stuck around um, and we do pretty much heavily focus on that sort of Midwest, Texas, Oklahoma, um, Memphis, and sort okay. of surrounding states. Interesting. Okay, I guess that can kind of lead us on to the next question about talking about the fundamentals of what makes a good deal in essence, <clears throat> um, and talking about the the price points, the sort of returns and investments. Uh, I guess the process to to 
a good deal uh, in a sense on your end. Um, and yeah, we could we can talk about a few of those topics. So I guess at the moment when we're talking about what makes a good deal, what sort of returns and investments are you seeing in some of these locations in the states? Um, and I guess I don't know if you, if we can talk about it now, but uh, uh, in comparison, I guess to the UK as well, um, stack weighing up the differences there and what you're seeing across the US uh, real estate market and then and then the UK, I guess, drawing the comparisons in a sense. But yeah, what sort of returns? Let's talk about the returns on investments at the moment that you're working on in a sense. Sure, sure. So I think, I think I guess, I guess the whole sort of main question there is, you know, what, what makes a good deal? What are we looking for, right, in, in our deals? Um, and to be honest with you, the returns are not something that we're extremely bullish and focused on. Um, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the execution of, of a deal. Uh, and and that, that involves people physically doing their jobs and putting their blood, sweat and tears into the operational side. So sure. realizing that and realizing that it's really down to the, the operations, which is going to control our risk. We're mainly focused on the people and the companies themselves rather than returns. Um, and it just so happens to be when you do that. Um, when you start working with people that really know what they're doing and they know how to find these deals, then actually yeah. it's not down to us to find these deals. That's not our expertise. I don't know the Tulsa market and the brokers in Tulsa and all the guys that you know have the secret yeah. phone books and, and uh, the little, exactly. little relationships. And yeah, I'm not in right. that scene, right? But my partners are that get these access to these deals, etc. So for me, it's always about finding the right people that, um, you know, looking into that company background of the people themselves, what have they done before this company? Um, what's the company done so far? What is their real vision and ethos? And by doing that, you know, you, you really then get to learn more of the story around a project. And that, and that is really, to me, what makes the deal good. Um, yeah. Having a story behind a project, then go and explain it to an investor. If me and you are talking now to tell you about a deal, um, You've heard it a billion times, right, about this is the returns, this is the IRRs, this is the time projects, how many units, this is the amazing area, this is coming in, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. You know, when you've, got, when you've got a story around an asset of the reason why it's for sale at the price point it is and the reason why it needs to be done fast and you learn, you know, what's been happening on in the history of that project and the asset, it can create a lot more of, um, you know, interest around the asset before you even get into those returns and numbers and that's really you know again what's important and having the right teams to to execute it um but just to answer your question on the, the kind of returns that we do see you know we're looking mm. at um we, we we have different strategies so it really does depend on um what strategy we're going down but if we look at the sort of topic of this conversation which is about diversification the way that we diverse is we do only do multifamily. But the way that we diverse is we're doing rehab projects, we're doing affordable housing projects, we're doing ground up new construction projects. And, you know, these um, the returns are going to look different for each kind of projects. Uh, these rehab projects, you know, we're buying units right now that you could not physically build um, for cheaper, brand new today. It would cost you a fortune because right. of construction costs, right? Of course. So, sure. you know, we're, we're getting these really amazing um, undervalued assets coming in, doing a soft rehab work. And, you know, we're seeing anywhere between two to three X on your multiple of equity uh, in 12 months, you know, once we've come in. And sorry, 12 to 18 months, I would say, um, to be conservative yeah. on the 18 month mark there, let's say. And, you know, we're seeing these sort of two X, three X returns. Um, and that's because of the, the simple metro market and 
yeah. of what's happening right now due to the construction prices and, and the price of property going up so much. And, you know, it's caused a lot of distress in these certain areas. And again, this is comes back to the deal side. These people and these teams that are so experienced in these um, <clears throat> you know, suburban areas um, are really not where a lot of the big, big institutions and investors are looking. So there's this kind of pocket that you find access to of these deals, which is, you know, really great, fantastic deals where just some people aren't maybe looking as much. So, you know, again, yeah. to try and summarize that good finding, deal. Is, yeah, yeah finding the opportunity. Yeah, it's the opportunity, it's the right team. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, from there and, and the story, like I was saying, if you've got them three components, I think, you know, you shouldn't have yeah. a problem um, being able to interest people to come and put money into that deal into the deal i think that's interesting with some of a lot of the projects you're working at at the moment what's i guess is it if it's something that you're able to disclose uh, at the moment but what sort of price points are some of these developments that you're acquiring uh around and and then a bit of an idea maybe as to the type of of development um i guess you just mentioned then about the the rehab and the new builds and, and existing properties as well and diversifying across the different asset classes but are you seeing a focus on say residential uh you know large residential master plan projects be 50 houses 60 houses in a little master plan community or is it more of a focus towards apartment living and and developing new high rise, not high rises, but just small apartment buildings in these smaller communities um, that are still, you know, have good connectivity, have good opportunity, employment growth, uh, infrastructure investment as well. All of these sort of things, things that we've been instilled for, for years now, yeah. investment properties. But uh, yeah, I guess the sort of the sort of asset class, uh, in a sense, have you seen what's what's really on the radar at the moment? Yeah, sure. I mean, when it comes to, a, you know, asset like I say, asset type class, but multifamily, you know, we're going to look at anything multifamily, whether it's class A, B or C, rehab projects, ground up, we're going to look at anything. Price points between 15 million, 100 million per asset. Um, we have institutional partners and investment banks and funders behind us, which will, you know, they can do a $8 billion facility for someone. Yeah. So, you know, we can do these huge master plan projects and all the rest of it. It's not our focus. Um, however, the way that we've kind of, the way I've kind of tied in my institutional background, right, that's the, the hundreds of million dollar deal kind of experience. So what we're doing now is is really looking at the the longer term goals within the, the client's actual, uh, or the client's goals, for example. So yeah. the, again, a lot of the, um, a lot of time we speak to developers, they've got a project they want raising capital for. And then what they do is they raise capital on the, <laughs> It happens any way they can, right? It's usually quite messy, yeah. last minute, things are extended. It's always quite chaotic. Um, and then usually what happens is the developer will tell us that they've had fallouts then with the guys that did the deal and it wasn't so great doing the deal with them. So they don't want to use them for the next one. So they're back at square one and they're re-raising again and they're trying out. It's been people like me, right, to, to try and get a hand of it. So... <clears throat> When, when it comes down to, you know, when we're engaging with our clients and we're understanding, you know, it comes down to what, what do you want, right? What is, the, what is the goal here? And, you know, we, yeah. don't, we don't tend now to work with lots of, you know, we speak to lots of developers and projects a week, but we so, you know, work with so far few and in between. It, it's very selective we work with and we want to take that longer term approach. So if we look at it and we say, you know, what is actually, you know, what, what are we capable of doing within this team? You know, what are you guys capable of actually deploying? over the let's say the next two to five years let's look at this like a you know a long-term plan 
So we can yeah. do these initial deals that we have in the pipeline. We can look at getting these funded, but then let's really look at building an actual pipeline that we can go and take to the you know bigger players and get you know better terms on our debt, more flexible terms. And really, Chris, to be honest with you, it's all all this comes down to is speed, and everything in our game is really about speed. And these good deals are so good if you can close them in time because they're they're very good which means they have a lot of people you know potentially looking at them wanting to pay a bit higher um prices for them the, the competition i guess in a sense and the fueling the price fueling the the battle it's almost like going to a bidding war and and if someone wants that that asset if they can see the value that it's going to create over the long term not just the short term but over the long term then yeah i guess it, it creates that competitive marketplace which in turn makes it a more difficult process for you unless your your client's ready to push the the trigger straight away and that's it and if you've got a you know a sort of um bazooka sat behind you for example right like a big (laughs) fund of 300 million dollar facility sat behind you um you know and you're able to literally walk in there to a seller and say listen we're backed by this super credible partner here's our you know balance sheet or proof of funds whatever you want to see we can do this in 30 days. You're going to do a number of things by doing that. You're going to be known to other sellers in the area. Um, sellers that have the building that have sold to you are going to want to sell other assets to you. You're going to impress your brokers because you're moving fast on their deals. You're good to operate with. And again, what does that come down yeah. to? Execution and the operators. So, yeah. you know, it's all good having yeah. a great deal. But then if people are procrastinating and, and taking a while to make decisions and, and not coming back to people on time it really is the small things right it's the simple little operations which yeah, really comes down to that individual grit of the person that is responsible for that job and again yeah. that's why we look at people so much more than than corporations and these big brands you know i, I want to know that you know if, if things are going wrong there's men on the ground and all oh, these women on the ground and they, they are yeah. quite literally going out their way to solve the problems that arise rather than being a big institution or organization where you can look to pass blame, maybe leave things a little bit longer than you normally should. Sure. No, it's a a good point. I remember even when we were trying to do some things together and the importance of having that good team on their end, uh, on the the client's end was, you know, if if that wasn't happening at the first meeting, then it was almost a a no-go, but it's having the people on the ground and just making sure the process is as efficient as uh, possible, really, given the circumstances. So that's interesting. And I guess touching back on that, that house versus apartment sort of stuff, what sort of, are you able to give an example of what sort of development you might be funding at the moment, uh, be, a, be a housing community or be an apartment uh, complex or yeah, even sure. a, commercial, a commercial or industrial sort of project? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the projects that we are just closing on at the moment um, it's been it's a value add project so it's a rehab value add project and we've got a real focus on with one of my partners it's it's a huge focus on um giving back to these communities and really creating a genuinely better place for people to live to improve their lives you know really change their lives grow these communities and at the same time build investor wealth and the thing is it's really really interesting because by having this real um natural i guess for these guys natural response to the market and wanting to do something um from an angle which is more about focused on the individual tenants rather than the profits and the returns and like the institutions and the corporations will focus on 
these guys are focusing really on because they've been through it. They've been through the affordable housing routes. They've been around, been around it all their lives. They've been in the military. You know, these are people that have always been working in nonprofits, like example. So, yeah, when you do that, Chris, when you look after the end tenant, they stay longer, they're happier. Your occupancies are higher. What does that mean? Higher returns. Of course. So, win, win, you know, <laughs> yeah, so it's, um, you know, we, we're focusing a lot on these value-add projects. So what we're doing right now is, is a value-add project where it's a community that's been owned by um, several wealthy individuals. And yeah. they're not operators of a affordable housing complex, right? So they don't, they don't really tend to do this in a day-to-day. They, um, they're very wealthy and a passive investor. So, you know, they bought an asset many years ago. Uh, for sort of twenty, thirty thousand dollars a door, and um, they're getting a really good cash flow on that, right? And even though it's a small cash flow coming in, when you total that up on thousands of units, uh, yeah. it's really nice yields, right? So, they 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 basically bought a load of these these complexes. They've left them for a long, long time. It's getting more and more distressed. They've not managed it. They've not looked after the health of these people um, from a physical and mental aspect, which you have to do. And you know, as a result of that, they've just drove their occupancy rate right down. And they've really just got an asset here, which is in a bad way. And they don't have the experience, expertise to come in and, and fix things up and start demanding more rent and putting more ecosystems in. Um, sure. So, you know, we, we've got this deal off these guys and we know we can come in, add a lot of value. We can, the occupancy is around 56% currently and it's breaking even. So we know that this cap, this asset, even if you buy it, we're going to be breaking even, even where it is right yeah. now. Um, but by the time we do, you know, the value add and the works on it and whatnot, um, you know, we're going to put in, you know, we're putting the asset value to near sort of um, just sort of early 20s in the millions there. So we're sort of picking this up for 15 and we're going to be uh, spending a couple of million on it. And we've got a value there of around 21 to 22 million. Um, but then what we do, Krishna, we refinance that out, pay our investors back uh, a large lump sum of their initial money. And then we hold on to that because we're an asset management company as well. So, you know, we can right. then hold on to these assets long term and keep our investments yeah. in it. So that that's a, an idea of one of the projects we're on and again that's a rinse and repeat process so this kind of deal now once we've got this one done and we've already got the second one lined up the third and fourth are in talks at the moment and it's just a case of building up this pipeline so that we can then go to our institutional partners and get that larger funding in to really scale the business grow it definitely Uh, i guess something that's also quite trending at the moment around their esg development uh sustainable and economic economic sustainable governance uh, development. So I think that's an important factor. And if you've seen, I think the states are quite quite bullish on it at the moment, but is there a shift in which it's moving towards a more sustainable uh, way of development? development? Yeah. Have you, yeah. Have you seen the change? Yes, it's, it's a huge, I mean, I, we. it's a really good topic, ESG. Um, I was at yeah. the event in Mayfair last week at the family office event yeah. where I was working at the event and we, we were just listening to companies speak about ESG and, and they are specifically ESG companies trying to really help yeah. on some of the problems that we see and reducing, you know, emissions, et cetera. And yeah. in the real estate sector, you know, I've sort of said it for years. If, if a lot of small companies and owners and individual people can start applying this, then we can all literally make a difference. We can, if we all, if we all do this and it takes small companies like myself that are starting in this industry where we're growing and scaling if we're adapting this and pushing this from day one, you know, even five years from now, maybe we can have made a little difference in our own little way, just for our own sure. clients. And maybe that can rub That's off true. and if everyone does that right. So ESG, 
yeah, I mean, ESG is essentially, you know, just doing the right thing. You know, whenever we look at it, there's all different sorts of terminologies for ESG and, you know, uh, sustainability or is it socially, you know, whatever the, yeah. these letters come to different people as. But we all know we need to be doing this. Uh, we all know we need to be taking this more seriously. We're seeing it a lot. We're seeing it a lot more now. Every project I'm seeing, there's, there's lots of components around ESG. And what's yeah. been really interesting is uh, in the family office space, I work with some um, partners of mine who deal with family offices and they help with all of the um, capital raising for startup companies around ESG. Right. So they're, they're only focused on ESG companies. And yeah. what they're doing now is moving into sort of more, they're seeing more real estate um, companies coming up in the market where they're offering, you know, sort of solar solutions and different materials, uh, construction materials as alternatives, which are, more sustainable, better for the environment, cheaper. Of course. So, you know, ESG is something which I think has always kind of been looked at as it's going to reduce profits and it's going to be, it's not going to be a financially feasible deal if we start having to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but I yeah, think, that's true. you know, it's again, almost like not, the tables have turned in a sense and from something that was considered more expensive, a harder way of doing it, it's now a, a more efficient way, a more affordable way, uh, and a more environmentally friendly way of doing it. It's, I think the way it's our mindset and I, I think our mindset's changed towards the way in which we look at it now. Um, and in Australia, for example, they're making full timber framed buildings and massive high rises just made of, of timber. So I think I'm sure it's happening. It's happening in the UK. It's happening in the States and around the world. But it's, you know, so that's something like that was probably never even considered 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's kind of becoming... It's becoming more in your face in general, but it's also becoming more implemented in the back ends as well. So institutions being cracked down on this, you know, you have to, you can't be deploying you know, billions of dollars of, of capital into projects, right, which are very harmful. So, you know, once, and again, once the bigger players start adapting this more and more as well, and it's just mushrooming, mushrooming out, um, yeah. you know, I think it's a positive thing. I think we're going, I think we are going the, the right way and I think we just need to keep adapting it more. But a lot of the, you know, a lot of the guys now, if we're coming down with projects, I mean, I wouldn't do anything that's um, not got a company which is genuinely, genuinely as well, um, trying to reach that ESG goal. Because um, that's the issue with ESG. A lot of people and developers of uh, companies are taking this on them to say we're ESG, but they don't actually care about being ESG. You know, you can see it in the, the mannerisms where they speak. They don't, they're doing it to tick a box. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, I don't think you're going to change that, to be honest, Chris. I don't think you'll ever change that. So I think that's down to, again, institutions cracking down to and, and regular regulatory systems to say, you know, you do need to be checking these boxes. You do need to have X, yeah. Y, and Z in place. Who controls that and how long that'll take to implement? Exactly. I don't know. But to summarize it, yeah, we're seeing lots of positive <laughs> movement in that area. People that's are good. taking it more seriously. You know, we're, we're, we're working with Tesla and companies like this to get their car spaces in, you know, for electric charging points, which, by the way, yeah. you put a brand like Tesla on your project, gets more interest. So, yeah, you know, and again, it's using these companies to everyone's benefit. And I think, you know, that that's really the way that you can sort yeah. of make a win-win situation from I it all. Definitely. I could see in the States as well the, the introduction, uh, in the future, maybe a couple more years, but the introduction of a, a government grant, in a sense, on the basis that your development is not just well, ESG classified, but... Yeah, we know, already see it. Yeah, so yeah, meets the criteria. Yeah, we, we we did a project in Germany as well. Um, okay, and that project was again they were allowed to get grants from the the banks and the government because they were meeting you know certain measurements yeah. of 
energy efficient buildings, uh, charging points, X, Y, and Z. So yeah, it's already happening again. That that's causing that incentive. It's actually reducing get coupons, things like this. Impacts yeah. investors are now coming more more and more apparent into these projects. So we're seeing it. We're seeing it definitely moving that way. It's good. It's a good uh, good driver. Hopefully, and a lot more economies, a lot more countries start to follow in suit. I think Germany's a good one. Germany's always. I guess they they always seem one step ahead of everyone in terms of environmentally sustainable. Uh, just way of living in a sense they're just a uh, very green green way of living so no, that's good to know um next question that i'd like to ask you or just mm-hmm. any i guess suggestions or, or tips that you may have but any um recommendations that you would like to give in terms of investment some investment tips or you know if if you were going to start on the ladder today <clears throat> and buy a property of something within your means for example um what would you be looking at? What sort of tips or, or, or tr- you know, process would you be looking at to, to get you onto the ladder? Yeah. My, my honest my honest answer to that question, I get it a lot. And the honest answer is, you know, my friends always say to me, right, I've got this money, what should I do with it? And yeah. I always just say, first of all, just think about what you actually want, right? Um, as, as corny and deep as it sounds, just really take it's a minute true. and think, you know, how do you want to live your life? You know, what is this money being invested for? Is this for security? Is it for 35 years down the line? Is it to just provide wealth for my kids and just, or is it just to look after? Or do I want to make yep. this money work as fast as I can because I want to quit my job and get enough money to do so and, and start being more aggressive? So when you yep. set yourself that question, you kind of get your risk appetite adjusted for you naturally, right? Because if you're someone who really wants to go aggressively 12 months and try and double equity and you know 3x equity, things like this, Rather yeah. than doing a double over ten years, which might be like you know buying um you know an apartment and letting it appreciate over time in a good area and getting a little yield as well, um, yeah. So I think always first of all ask yourself that question of what is what is the reasoning why I want to invest this money, and when you understand that you can sort of um, understand your risk appetites and and then that risk appetite will allow you to see what kind of percentages you're going to get right. Yeah. So we know That's if we true. go and buy a triple net deal. Um, in the states, which we also do, so this will be a property, maybe that a university is a tenant of. So it's an asset. The university are renting it out. So they're renting this building. It's just for the science department, art department, whatever it may be, and they're on a thirty-year lease. And they've agreed every so often that we can put the rent up by a certain percent, and it's a really strong lease contract. Yeah. And we're pretty confident that, that university isn't going to go, you know, bankrupt or so not be able to pay its, sure. its rent right. So. Something like that, we're going to expect it's so so risk free, so safe. We're not going to expect high returns, right? So anywhere between, you know, four to eight percent, we're probably going to be pretty happy with it. We call it sort of mailbox cool. money, right? You, you simply it's all turnkey. Yeah. The asset is coming in, and then you might think, well, actually, you know, I want to, I really want to make my money work for me faster uh, right now because the timing's an issue. So I want to go and do this rehab project with with Burgess Group because I know that in eighteen months. I can I can actually three x my equity on on one of their deals, right? And I know that sounds like a crazy number, by the way. I'm not being deluded either. Um, we have got yeah. a deal at the moment which is getting us three x equity, and that's being conservative. We will still right. drop when we when we put that out to the investors, though. We'll put that down as a one point eight to two point two equity return, okay. um, and we'll put you know yeah. literally we we add, we add numbers, man, like crazy. You know, we'll put operating expenses at fifty percent, not thirty five, even put higher sometimes. Yeah just because we like to stretch the deal out as much as we can. And yeah. we, you know, we live by that saying that under promise and over deliver. So, you know, exactly, if, yeah. if, if you've got that question and you, you're wanting to 
uh, invest in something a bit faster, you might want to go into that, the develop the rehab project. Sorry, so it's a rehab project. We're going in there, taking a, a discounted asset because of the story behind the asset. We're getting a yeah. discount. We're doing the soft works because we've got the team that can do that work and execute it. And then we're going to refinance that out through you know whatever pay off investors and then hold on to the asset because we have an asset management team. So okay. that's a good investment. And again, you know, for me. When I think of it personally, and I guess this might help people if they're unsure of, of what they're doing, but for me personally, you know, look at us, right? We're young. I'm 28 yeah. next week. <laughs> Literally next week, Youngster. I'm 28. So <laughs> the way I'm looking at this, and we get really good tax um, advantages for doing this as well, but if you're holding real estate, you know, 10 yeah. years plus in the US, we're, we're getting good uh, tax benefits and all the rest of it. Okay. So everything to, me is a, yeah, everything to me is a long-term game anyway. So... Yeah. The way I see this is also I wanted to be doing is real estate. I'm, I'm having a diversified real estate portfolio. I'm creating that as we speak. So for me, it's all about just reinvesting back into more real estate assets. So even if it's like, you know, your 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 clients where they're invested into you know one or two apartments for their long-term portfolio, uh, and they may be getting some rental yield from that and some cash coming in. Uh, yeah. Again, for me, you know, that's a case of, again, maybe it's not a tip, it's just a personal preference, but that yields, I don't look at that as cash flow to myself or a business or anything. It, it's simply just building up like a savings or a storage pot. Yeah. And, and that's investing for the next. Yeah, because that then equates that IRR return, right? So yeah, it's, it's constantly reinvesting that cash in and just sort of, um, you know, one thing I used to dislike a lot is when we used to get told a lot, um, and you hear it a lot in a lot of investment companies, you know, remove the emotion away from the investment and look at, you know, stats and numbers and all the rest of it. I don't think you can do that when it's your money involved. Um, I think certain people can, of course, but I don't think to everyone that's that's something you can do. I think there's always going to be emotional attachment there. So I think you've always got to listen to your gut. You know, you've always got to listen to your gut. And this is why, especially when you're an investor that's looking at a company like yours as well, right? They're looking at branding the company the people behind it and they can get familiar that you guys are so transparent you're doing these podcasts you know they can get to learn about your yeah. team and, and how you are as as a company and just get a general feel for the way that you execute and operate yeah, right definitely. so i think yeah. you know for me always looking at the company that you're investing with down to as much detail as you can um you know a lot of these investment companies and, and products um, that you invest into, you don't actually know what them agreements are in the back end. Okay. So as an investor to a company, there's your agreement. Well, that company then has agreements in the back end with all of their partners, developers, real estate, whatever it may be. Right. You don't actually get to see that uh, sometimes. So, you know, again, the way that we do it, it's, it's direct investment. You're a part of an LLC. You're part of a legal structure. It's open. You know, you come into the room. We, we all invest in a deal together. It's very exclusive off market, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you're a part of that. So it, it's something that's more tangible to people. Um, and again, personal. yeah. Um, but again, you know, so for me, again, that causes that emotional attachment. Though. You know, you're actually a part of something mm. where you are yeah. in a company structure and you're doing something for a community. But then again, Chris, I also want something long-term going on in the background, always. So again, I'm looking at holding onto apartment units, right? We have a few properties in the family that we haven't just rent out to tenants. And I think as long as, at the end of the day, Chris, as long as you're buying in a good area, you're buying a good quality bit of real estate, you're going to make, you know, you're going to make your money on it if you hold it for the long term. And that's what it's all about for us. We don't know what's going to happen a year from now, 10 years from now. We can only make, you know, our choices today and... As far as yeah. I'm concerned, you know, real estate is always going to be a good long-term investment. So, exactly. 
my tip exactly. is I guess. stick to real estate <laughs> <laughs> stick to real estate yeah i think that's it's important what you're saying as well about the i guess you touched on it slightly when you were speaking then but the diversification still in assets across real estate uh and like you were saying your parents own you know apartments for example and and a couple i guess there's some probably sort of their house that they live in as well and but it's just having that diversified portfolio uh and not putting all your eggs in one basket i think when we look at australia we we try to suggest to some of our clients that they should consider interstate uh investments so don't put all don't invest all your money into new south wales and sydney uh you know spread it across queensland uh, and victoria and i guess Australia is slightly different, similar to the states in a sense with the way that the states are split up and they all run on their own governments uh, and different sure, sure. different leg- rules and legislations in a sense. So diversifying that over the country and uh, your assets, I think, is an important thing to do. But yeah, uh, I guess you, you touched on that already. But last question that we want to ask you, and uh, I've given you a bit of prep for this one, but what does a wealthy life mean to you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I mean, like, like, you know, it's interesting for me, the whole money thing and the way I view money, I think, compared to most people in my position and doing the job I do. Um, it doesn't yeah. drive me money, you know. It doesn't drive me to have luxury goods and have the money and all the rest of it. Wealth for me is, you know, I went through a period where I had no money. So, you know, and I mean really no money. So for me... The wealth thing has always been a security feeling, I think. Having a subconscious relaxation that you're always okay, right? Just knowing that my mortgages, my rents, my outgoings are always covered without me even batting a eyelid anymore is the most, you know, content feeling for me. And that makes me feel wealthy, I would say. So I'd say I've actually... Definitely. No, for me, it's already sort of hitting that point. Um, But it's to... The way to protect that as well is only through one way, and that's growth. So that's also a mindset. So that's where the sort of aggression and the uh, drive comes from as well to keep growing this because to have this comfort behind me subconsciously that, you know, the wealth is sort of there and I'm, I'm okay and I'm safe needs yeah. to keep growing because otherwise it will decrease, as you know, yeah. right? Nothing ever exactly. nothing stays plateau, right? So it's <laughs> always up, up or down. So my mindset very much around the wealth is is just to keep on growing the wealth. If you keep If you do that, you're never going to, you know, Exactly. And also, and also um, rule number one as well, which is never lose money. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was that easy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's good. I, I think it's all like you were saying around that passive income and, and making sure that you know, at the end of the day, you've, uh, you're growing your portfolio, but having that, that income coming in to continue growing your portfolio, not to go in your pocket in a sense, but to, to cover everything else that's going on in your life. So yeah, no, just, just, just to, uh, just to touch upon that as well. That that's exactly what it is. You know, it's a lot, a lot of your clients as well. Um, I believe will probably be in this mindset of creating that passive income, right. Um, to the point where maybe they can even not have to work anymore because the properties are paying them income. And again, they keep, you know, every so many years they grow in the refinancing, maybe some more money comes in, they keep reinvesting. And you've then literally got, you know, like, as you know, you've, you've got then, if you take that long-term approach, even if you're early on right now, you've only got, you know, a bit of savings, et cetera. You know, after 10, 15 years, you can be in a position where you literally are completely scot-free, right? Yeah. You turn into a millionaire. 
you're a, a property millionaire. Well, that's so. it's, that's another uh, actually one of my partners. They do that. They they um they run uh, syndication models. So maybe it's I'm not too sure um, exactly how your infrastructure works, but they they essentially syndicate um, LP okay. investors and equity investors money. Um, go into the projects and they actually have uh, through their CRM system they can see you know who's actually become a millionaire since they've been investing with right. their company and you know they get sent the sort of um, you know the cool heart baseball jacket yeah. sort of, um, <laughs> welcome to the family kind of feel yeah, and exactly. again you know I, I get I love it's that good. kind of feeling right um, so that's where I think you know, emotions can be in it you know you can have these Definitely. really nice relationships with your investment companies and I think that's what it feels like with, with you guys with wealthy it feels like that's sort of the Approach you guys I think it's on. I think it's important to remember at the end of the day that these people to you know we we deal with property we sell property we buy property whatever regularly and to us we hit when we hear five hundred thousand now we think okay just yeah just do it makes sense sign the dotted line and that's because we see the number side to it I think and understand the numbers uh, if it makes sense that is you'd sign that that document um, but to a lot of these mum and dads and and first time investors that are buying some of these investment properties that's a lot of this, you know, they've saved up for the for the start of their life to buy this investment property or their first home or whatever it may be. And parting with that 500 grand or the 600 grand, whatever the budget may be, is it's it's an emotional thing. It's if you're tight, you know, you've put a lot of hard work and sweat and effort into into your you're building these savings and then and then getting your mortgage approved and buying your first property. So we need to remember at the same time that it is an emotional decision it's a it's a big decision to a lot of these people and and rightly so it should be it's you know one of the biggest in purchases and investments you'll ever make so it's uh yeah remaining very uh what's the word it's you know remaining on just on the emotional side of it and touching in on the emotional side in a sense yeah. but well yeah, i think i it's think a, it's at the end of the day you know it's human to human interaction interactions at the end of the day you know you're dealing with, with other humans like say with actual problems and it's a big deal to them and it's just being I think from you know your guys' point of view, it's just being comfortable for them and uh, you know there for people. One of one of the issues that I see a lot, um, you know, there's, there's been issues where we've even looked at using platforms as such, um, you know, for capital raising, etc. And you know, you, again, you look at the execution side of this on the back end of it with like you know customer support, investor support, and all the rest of it, and it's it's horrible actually. It's quite frankly horrible, and you know. There's no reason why it needs to be like that, you know. If you invest into good, safe assets, um, exactly, you know, makes sense. Well, well, George, it's been uh, great to have you on the show. Really appreciated chatting to you. Hope uh, you've uh, enjoyed jumping on. Love to get you on again later down the track, maybe when you've moved over to the states and get an update from you of what's happening in the states. But I hope uh, everything does go well for you. And yeah, it's been great to great to have a chat, mate. So thank you. No, likewise, Chris, and thanks for having me on, and I'd love to be back no, again, man. Sounds great. No problem. All right, we'll speak soon. Thank you for everyone that's listened, and I hope you've got some value out of this. Uh, enjoy. Thank you.